0: I'm Conor McLeod of the Clan McLeod, and I am immortal. We
1: I'm are a dead
0: guy named Nash. You talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places.
1: I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez, chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain. Everybody's got their problems. You're
2: alive. I didn't die.
1: Hey, it's a kind of magic. Hi, I'm Candy. Of course you
2: are.
0: Hello and welcome to Another Time McLeod, the only podcast, to our knowledge, dedicated to breaking down the 1986 cult classic Highlander, scene by scene. I'm Rob Wallace, and as always, I'm joined by my learned co-host, Mr. Rob Daniel. And as always, it is a pleasure beyond measure to be here. And today we have a special guest, Cameron Harrison of the Green Shirt Podcast.
2: Of course
0: I am. <laughs> oh, you've already got the tone. You've immediately, you've nailed it straight out of the gate. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Cameron.
2: Well, oh, low-hanging fruit. Hey Yes, thank you so much for having me on. My, uh, like, 14-year-old self is over the moon at being able to be on the premiere minute-by-minute Minute Highlander podcast. So it's an honor.
0: <laughs> That's very kind of you to say.
1: Yeah, we didn't pay him to say that, honest. <laughs> Not yet.
0: So, talking about your 14-year-old self, was that (laughs) around the time that you discovered Highlander?
2: Yeah, I I think so. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot since starting your podcast and knowing I was coming on. And, I mean, it really is just one of those movies that's always been with me. I couldn't really remember the first time I'd seen or heard of it. I figured it had, I'm pretty sure it was around the time I was getting into Queen, which would have been around the time that Wayne's World came out on video, because, like almost everyone my age, I got into Queen through Wayne's World. I think we'll go with a little Bohemian Rhapsody, gentlemen. Good call. And because I do remember being like, oh, well, I need the soundtrack. Where's the Highlander soundtrack? I must own it. And then like finding out that it was just a kind of magic and either I had just purchased it or was about to purchase it. So it was around the time that I was, I was, you know, developing my love of Queen uh, and I'm not sure which informed which, which direction that went, but because I am a good guest and I do my, my research, I reached out to my friends, my old high school buddies who I may have watched this movie with, and through our varying like hazy recollections, I think I pieced together the first time I watched Highlander. Which is, my buddy was telling me like, yeah, there's this great movie I, I watched a couple years ago because his dad was the type that showed him movies a few years too young. And he's like, it's it's this great movie. There's about these immortals who cut each other's heads off. Sean Connery's in it. It's in the future. It's got flying cars and aliens. And I was like, well, this sounds great. Let's watch it. So we rent Highlander and sit down. And and I do have this vague memory of us going like, well, this is good. But where's where's the future stuff? And him being like, it's going to come. It's it's coming. And at the end being like, I don't think that was science fiction. Is that the movie you saw? Because they obviously had enough that he told me about that. We're like, well, you didn't completely misremember it. Anyway, as I'm sure you've gathered, he had watched Highlander 2 without realizing that it was a sequel. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we we then went out and rented Highlander 2 and then tried to promptly scrub it from our memories.
1: Yeah, did he say... This is much better
0: than I remember it being. But also, like, this is far more Queen than I remember that being. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's true, that's true. I, I was the Queen head in our group, so I don't, I don't think he was keying in on the music. He was, he was more about the flying cars and Sean Connery. Were there flying cars in Highlander 2, or is that my false memory?
0: No, there are there are flying cars. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are, and even if there aren't, it's a very flying cars vibe movie.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right.
0: It's, it's, yeah, it's got a very Blade Runner.
2: Anyways, this whole this whole exercise just taught me that I do not have the uh, perfect recollective memory that Connor McLeod has in this movie. <laughs> I can't even remember back like 25 years to a movie, a, a, a movie I love the first time I watched it, and here he is, detailed memories of 400 years ago.
1: Triggered by the smallest thing.
0: Well, you know, I, I'm guessing it's implied based on the cuts between past and present. We don't know that he's remembering that. He could just be trying to remember what he had to dinner the night before, yes. and the cut is entirely, you know, it's the, it's the director telling the story. We only assume that's what Connor's thinking about. <laughs>
1: hmm. Yeah, maybe he only has a long-term memory and can't remember anything that is done that day, but can always remember hundreds of years ago. That's why he looks so haunted.
2: <laughs> it's a very brooding look for uh, remembering his SpaghettiOs. But yes, yes, I don't know. I think the reflection of the battle, <laughs> the reflection of the battle in his eye is a pretty heavy implication.
0: So do you think what Connor like, you know, so are we are talking like a sort of fifty-first date style retrograde amnesia. It's like every day he just wakes up and he just goes, ah,
2: what is this? It's a, it's a motorized horse. Why am I standing next to this man's severed head? Let's put these pieces together. We're going to memento the shit out of this. I was going to mention later when we uh, we get the introduction of his fish tank, Chekhov's fish tank. If you introduce a fish tank in the first act, it has to uh, transition to a flashback later on. But uh, I'm not sure exactly what fish are in it. But if they're goldfish, I wonder if, like, Connor, you know, is jealous of their inability to remember too far back.
0: Amazingly, given the Queen connection, I think this is the first time during this podcast that anybody has mentioned Wayne's World. Yes,
2: I think you're right. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to have that honor.
0: You've also just set up my being able to include a, uh, a clip of it, so that's that, which is always appreciated.
2: Excellent. Wayne's
1: World! Wayne's World! Party time!
2: Excellent! Excellent. Actually, just before I hit record, I realized I, I should have prepped like just all these references to the most obscure stuff to make you search out clips. Oh yeah, please. For like, yeah, you know. I don't we'll we'll know. see how this goes. Meet the Feebles, human centipede. Just force you to watch the like the worst, worst things just to find the
1: clips. Sure,
0: sort of
2: oh.
1: so you wanna join the Feebles?
2: Oh, rather.
0: <laughs> Meet the Feebles. Meet the Feebles. Meet the We're Feebles. Not a movie that began as family entertainment but went horribly wrong
2: have you got any smack
0: the siamese triplet <laughs> connected via the gastric system <laughs> the human cell As long as it's available on YouTube, we're fine. Otherwise, uh, I I will confess to once or twice having cut certain references just because I know that people will be like, where was the clip?
1: I don't know. I think you might have sown a seed there, Cameron. I think that Rob's going to have to elevate his clip game now. Um, Ah. Well if we've learnt anything from the movie,
0: Robcast, is that if you mention it again later on, as part of a wider discussion, I have to keep this in.
1: That's right, yes.
2: <laughs> that's, what, that's what my co-hosts do. They'll just turn something into a running joke just to ensure I won't cut the uh, previous reference. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, so bring on the Lucho 40 references then. Okay, got it.
2: <laughs> so, what did you think of Highlander? All right. So, where are do we are we beginning in the Highlands or do we begin on the transition? Where exactly does this minute begin, gentlemen?
0: The uh, the time code for this scene is thirty five minutes and forty six seconds, thirty seven minutes and fifteen seconds. Which, if I remember correctly is from Connor looking broody, as we've discussed, Connor is uh, wont to do, and then the transition through to the uh, the mural of the Mona Lisa in present day New York.
2: All right. So did you discuss on the previous episode then how Connor got out of his stocks? Because that is a question that is troubling me plaguing me we didn't oh well let's let's dive into this because in this shot he doesn't have his, his stocks on anymore
0: i'm guessing he just ran around like bashing them into rocks until eventually
2: <laughs> i suppose i mean because at first i was like oh he's immortal he just jumped off a cliff or something or or got mauled by a bear but i like i, I get the impression that he's not at that level yet he's he, he's he's not throwing himself he's he's not groundhogging day himself just yet
1: I think it would take him a while to heal, even if he didn't obviously
2: get killed from the fall. Um, True. I mean, yeah, he could have just come across like a hunter or, you know, yeah, ground the ropes on a rock, I suppose. It's just, it just, it almost feels like a choice that uh, Russell Mulcahy didn't show this.
0: I mean, I don't quite understand why they didn't just take the stocks off him before they sent him out of the village.
2: I, I presume that's how Angus convinced them to let him do that. Like, he'll die anyway. He's got the stocks. But also, like, how many
0: stocks do they have? Has he just.? Because Connor just. Like. Have they just sent Connor <laughs> off into the wilderness with their one good set
2: of stocks? Yes, that's... <laughs> that's. That's a good point. Well, and also, I think they sent him out with his sword, right? He ha- he has his MacLeod sword.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: But he's not carrying it when he. Or is he carrying it when he's in the stocks? You can see it's either the sword or the scabbard. And I don't know if he has a scabbard for his, his
1: giant Scottish sword. But well, he uses the. Well, he'll use the sword a bit later in the film for something very, very emotional and sweet. So, um, yes. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're right. They left him. So maybe he managed to get the sword and he positioned it between a couple of rocks and then just (laughs) rubbed it against it for five months. And it took him that long to, (laughs) to get out. Perhaps. Yeah.
2: I mean, maybe he starved to death and then his, his wrist just got Uh, thinner and, uh, he, he pulled out and then, you know, that's to death in quotes because Immortal.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, this is the point at which in the film where Connor looking broody is most... You can immediately
1: identify the reason behind it. It's like... Well, I think it's one of those things where you're supposed to think that Heather released him from the stocks because the transition from his face to the Mona Lisa wasn't actually planned. They just saw um, on the audio commentary, Russell Mulcahy says, we saw this amazing poster that was for Steppenwolf and thought, oh, we could do a really, really good transition there. All the others have been planned. This one was kind of captured on the fly. So when they got back to London, they just built a fake rock and put Christopher Lambert against it and filmed his close-up so they could use it. So it was actually one of those things that was done while they were shooting. So it kind of creates like a bit of a logic hole because if it wasn't there, then I think you'd just assume that Heather released him.
2: Ah, I I was going to ask that if it was planned because there was something about it that did make me think they maybe just discovered it. Maybe that's because I thought maybe they wouldn't paint a giant mural on a New York building. But um, I do, it's a great transition and I'll get into why I think it's so good. But it is interesting that he's facing a different way than her. And I wonder why they made that choice. Because the eyes match great, but that's all that matches. Yeah,
0: indeed. That's right. I think maybe because, you know, the transitions in this are wonderful, but they're not exacting. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not, you know, absolutely perfectly posed in order to get, you know, there is something a little bit kind of loose and free about them that I think is kind of part of how Mulcahy, I mean, not, again, not to say there isn't a precision to what he's doing, but I think he, he might find that a little bit too, um,
2: too on the nose. Yeah. A little
0: bit too on the nose. Yeah.
2: I mean, because literally, yeah, his nose is pointing the opposite <laughs> way, but, uh, yeah, it is, it is a great transition. It's one I always forget about. I always remember the fish tank one, but yeah, the Mona Lisa one, always gets me by surprise. And at first, I'm always like, well, that's weird going from Connor to, to Mona Lisa, uh, and, you know, from his distraughtness to her smile. But it's one of those ones that you, the more you think about, the more it makes sense. Because yes, we are going from like the Dark Knight of Soul, like that brooding look is probably his darkest moment in the film, maybe arguably next to, to Heather's death. And then it goes to like that experience being uh, kicked out of his, his home.
0: And you walk, oh bloody well walk out of here.
2: Directly leads to how he leads his life now, right? It it directly informs why he puts up a mask and, you know, uh, has these secrets that he hides behind a coy smile. And uh, so I think I think that transition with the Mona Lisa actually does kind of make a lot of internal logic. you, you think about it.
1: Yeah, indeed. It's the it's the most famous painting of you're not sure what she's thinking and throughout all of Highlander, yeah, it's like you're not entirely sure what this guy's deal is.
2: hmm exactly. That's great. It's akin to, like, cutting from, and I don't know if any of the movies have ever done this, but cutting from a shot of, like, young Bruce Wayne looking at his dead parents and cutting to Batman in the cowl with the brood and being like these two events are directly connected. Mm. And I think that's what this does well.
0: I'm trying to think if there's a version of if there's a live action version of Batman that has done this because you tend to go from the death of Bruce Wayne's parents into I don't know mm-hmm. like the title sequence.
2: Well, the the original Michael Keaton it's all done in flashbacks, so that one might be.
0: Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I guess maybe like a match cut between yeah okay now now you're gonna have me rewatching um all the live action batman films to try and find one where
2: <laughs> my work is done <laughs> i also enjoy the the transition here because we're going from like beat up mcleod in the highlands to beat up mcleod in new york yeah. like both of them <laughs> in both scenes have just had a day
1: he does give good face for that doesn't he i've,
2: I've just had a day face
0: <laughs> well he's got that as mj said in the most recent episode he's got quite a heavy brow it kind of does lend itself to, mm. to yeah,
2: yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I kind of assumed when we see him walking here in the street uh, that you know this is this is the morning after the fight with Fazil and the interrogation and everything. I and then on a recent episode, I just listened to you guys. You did make the point that we don't really know how much time has passed here. This could be a couple days later, and he just didn't go back for his sword for a few days.
0: Yeah, so you know, as we said in the previous episode, the time scale is a little off. I mean, that's the thing when you, you know, when you don't see the natural progression of day into night and everything seems to be happening in real time, you assume a fairly compact time frame. but I mean, presumably this is a day later. It's not long enough for, um, Brenda to have got any further in her
2: investigation into Connor. Mm-hmm. I just like to think that this, this is like just the shameful walk home, like his walk of shame, right? <laughs> I mean, not shame, but just, just a night, he missed out on the wrestling match. <laughs> He's gotten the electric orgasm. (gasps) He's been interrogated, been called uh, uh, homophobic slurs.
1: You faggot, Nash. Why,
2: Garfield, you cruising for a piece of ass? Gotten beat up by his arch nemesis. Nice to see you again, McLeod.
1: Nice to see you.
2: Creeped out on a girl like...
0: Have you been following me?
1: I'd like to walk you home, Brenda.
2: So just a typical Tuesday. <laughs> yes, for for Connor. If this is if this is a
0: walk, uh, you know, if he has been kind of wandering around, he's been wandering around in a fairly small area because from Madison Square Garden to the bar, I think we established, is about a fifteen-minute walk. Okay. And from Madison Square Garden to Hudson Street, which is where his uh, the antique shop you know, Russell Nash Antiques is located, is about a twenty-minute walk. So uh, which street did you say? Uh, Hudson Street. Uh, where do you get that from? Uh, any antique dealer on Hudson Street could tell you that. Oh. <laughs>
2: the hell you got a Toledo Salamanca a what
0: sword Frank a very rare sword
2: was it worth much
0: only about a million bucks
1: any antique dealer on Hudson Street could tell you that
2: interesting okay I forgot that line. I I just, I Googled it and uh, I did find the address and you can kind of Google Maps it and it's the street looks remarkably the same. The facade and everything looks exactly the same. It's pretty cool. I even kind of, I even, I spent probably way too much time driving around on Google Maps, trying to find the intersection where the Mona Lisa painting would have been. And I think I did finally found it. It is only like two blocks away from where the location of his antique shop is. Uh, This isn't that interesting, but it's all there. It's all there in New York. It all makes logical sense. So
0: the geography kind of matches up. Like, he would have been in proximity to that. It's not like that was, you know, the other side of Manhattan, and they shot there. And... Exactly. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted, to, I wanted to actually ask, you know, if you knew if it was kind of a natural... Uh, because the implication is that Connor kind of almost kind of walks past it en route to the
2: shop. And, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, that's actually... I really I really like the fact that he apparently does.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, I didn't know beforehand, but there's just enough uh, visual clues in the frame that you can, you can spot it. Uh, his... Uh actual apartments located on 73 Green Street. It's now a clothing store uh that's, does specialize in sneakers and sadly I could not find any Highlander tie in Connor McCloud sneakers on their website. Hmm. <laughs> so you, so you don't live in New York do you Cameron? Or do you? I do not know. I've been there once but no I live on the other
1: the oh, other I coast. See, right, fair enough. Um cuz I was going to ask if you spotted all the London locations because I did not spot that at all. It all just looked like New York to me. And it was, it kind of blew my mind when I found out that huge chunks were shot in London. Oh,
2: same. Yeah. No, listening to your podcast. I'm like, Oh, this, this wasn't shot in New York. I I have a terrible eye for that. Yeah. I need, I need it to be pointed out to me for sure. Unless it's someplace I have lived.
0: Well, the loft apartment of the next scene, Connor's, Gorgeous loft apartment um, <laughs> was presumably shot in London because it's you know it's clearly it's clearly a set. It was, yeah.
2: I okay, yes, yeah. I was yeah, going right. to ask before I started making fun of the uh, not terribly convincing uh, uh, views out the window. If it was a set, or if I was misreading it,
1: yeah. Could you talk about the views out of his windows? Because heavens,
2: <laughs> they well, are... I mean, does does he live on like the Letterman late night set? I mean, that's what it looks like, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so true.
2: I mean, it's, it's nothing I, well, I don't know. Maybe I would have noticed it if I wasn't watching it for this podcast, but <laughs> watching it for this podcast, you definitely look out those windows and go, oh, well, that's a, a backdrop in a couple of models. That's
0: the thing, because the camera really scopes out the space. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, kind of you start on the elevated walkway and you've got the, the lovely cage lift and those concrete walls. And then, you know, kind of the camera's drifting to, you know, to the left of the frame. Mm-hmm. Um And then, yeah, then you kind of see these full-length latticed windows outside which I think there's like a water tower Mm -hmm. and... But it is, as you say, it's very clearly a backdrop.
2: Yeah, I mean, at first your brain almost thinks like, oh, he's got like these beautiful cityscape paintings out his window. Wait a second.
1: That's exactly what I thought. (laughs) But let's take a quick
2: moment to discuss this uh, lift or elevator for my American brothers and sisters. Uh, It is the slowest one in... Cinema history. I don't know. I it was just only an immortal would have enough patience for that <laughs> elevator. Like no mortal person with death hanging over their head is going to ride that
1: elevator every day. No, it is, and also as we've also just worked out he's not getting his cardio in with these walks so therefore he could really just jog <laughs> up those steps do immortals
0: put on weight <laughs> or is it like or are you fixed are you fixed in whatever physical shape you were you know can you change your body type once you're mm-hmm. i i
2: i was definitely thinking that specifically in the next scene where we see like how much work he has put into building a giant stone structure and we hear talk of his muck and muscles i was like I think he would have put on more muscles. I think he must be stuck at this body
1: shape. Mm. Yeah. That's uh um and that set so so the sets were designed by Alan Cameron, which is actually quite a nice little mm. link into our guest today. But um yeah, so he did some great stuff. He did the Mummy films, mm. but he also did some good stuff. So um so he did Willow. Ah, oh, there <laughs> um, we go. So we did Willow, which Actually MJ Smith on I think the previous episode said that the kind of Highlander kinda of reminded him of Willow, so it, yeah, so there could be something in the set decoration there that um, I see that, yeah. On the, the set design. He also worked with Verhoven on Showgirls and Starship Troopers and Hollow Man. Mm. Uh, starship troopers of course also starred clancy brown so um but yeah he was uh, and i think he think he did the da vinci code as well and van helsing so yeah he was um and he hadn't really done much film work before highlander so kind of get the impression that highlander showed what he could do and then he became a bit of a fantasy set designer on speed dial for people
2: oh yeah this film will be a showpiece for a set designer yeah i think it's our very first
0: episode after the intro talking about the uh, the opening credits um that yeah loads of people involved in this you know have gone on to be you know really big names in big classic movies of the of the 80s 90s you know all the way through to the present day Mm. and that for a lot of them Highlander was kind of their start
1: in the industry and that set is like it seems like a showcase set to show off what your set designer Mm. can do right so I mean it looks amazing at the same time I mean this is
2: not a singular uh New York apartment in the films of the 80s and 90s right like the, the the New York apartments of those films definitely set us up for expectations of what we would be living in that reality was not ready to to meet. Uh, I mean, what, what other films can you think of with like just these ridiculous apartments that you thought
1: you would be living in when you got older? Well, it's Flashdance. Is that the one where she's a welder, but oh. she seems to <laughs> own an entire, well, not even like a loft apartment, but just the top floor of a building or something? <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. The Fly, my wife mentioned. Uh, oh, what? That's one. Um, you know, there's Big. It's definitely uh, one that was fueled childhood dreams. Uh, Green Card, St. Elmo's Fire, and Flatliners. A lot of the Brat Pack movies, they all had these amazing apartments. And even like Ghostbusters it's like, oh, sure, you want to buy this uh, old brick house uh, fire department? Absolutely, that's affordable. Hey!
0: Place is great. When can we move in? You've got
2: to try this, Paul.
1: <laughs> You're absolutely right about the expectations. I actually wrote that in my notes. It's like this is this sort of film, and also the films of John Hughes, where they all live in nine-bedroom houses, really set unrealistic mm. expectations for where I'd be living yeah. as an adult. And um, I just, I just assumed that I would have a sunken lounge at some point, and I've now got to the point where <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing adults have, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I think adulthood is accepting that you will never have a sunken land.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh
2: Yeah, I mean, at least in this movie, it makes sense for the character. So so that's what Highlander has going
1: for it. Uh, but as you said, we also see the fish tank, which is a really, yes, a Chekhov's fish tank. And it's very prominently placed. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's It's weird because, you know, um, one thing we talked about in the previous episode with MJ is that Connor, you know, his, 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 with his trench coat and the rest of it, it's a very kind of stripped back approach to living. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, you know, particularly does he feel like a man who feeds
2: fish? (laughs) I was wondering, and the plants, does he take care of his plants? And I mean, the fish tank is not very clean, so he's not taking care of that as well as he should. (laughs) But I did, I did wonder that. I don't know. I I could maybe see him taking care of, like, plants and fish because it's, it doesn't have the attachment that uh, a relationship has that he had with Heather. It's a much more shallow, consumable attachment.
1: Yeah, you just need to feed them once a day and that's that.
2: Yeah, and when they die, I flush them and I'm not, <laughs> it's not going to heartbreak me all over again. Queen's not going to play when the goldfish dies. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there must be some Queen song that ties into A Fish Dying, but then... <laughs> uh, the
2: last Albums.
1: Yeah, that's right.
2: Uh, apparently he can't even afford a uh, an umbrella stand for his sword, though. I like that he just leaves it leaning against the wall by the elevator.
1: I have to admit, um, yeah, wasn't it this time? It was like, I just think that subconsciously I took all of the ways in which I... Just walk into my flat from him because mm-hmm. I'll just drop things on the floor and I'll throw my coat on the back of the settee and it will just stay there for a day and <laughs> it's like oh wow that's that must be where it came from
0: <laughs> not my inhuman laziness. Also, in terms of the the main space, if I'm not much mistaken, you know, a I think everything is very front loaded in terms of that um, he's not doing very much with the rear windows. Also, <laughs> and I'm maybe you know it's possible I've completely missed this. Is there a kitchen? Do we get a sense that there's, like, a toilet?
2: <laughs> I feel like you can see... You see a dining table in the background in one of the shots, I feel like. And it I thought you kind of saw the edges of, like, cupboards and stuff. So the kitchen is kind of like an open kitchen next to the door, the ornate marble door where he... His secret brooding room. <laughs> uh, so, so I do think that. And then, yeah, I mean, there's no there's no bathrooms in movies unless it's Quentin Tarantino.
1: I'm going to take a piss. Um, I was going to think of Woody... Has he ever entertained anyone here? I mean, he, I suppose you imagine that Rachel might have popped around once for a cup of coffee or something.
2: Yes, Rob. Like, who's sitting on all these couches? Is he having parties? Well, I guess, I guess like, you've got to have at least one
0: couch because you want somewhere to sit. And then if you've got one couch, it looks weird just having one couch in the space. You've got <laughs> a massive loft apartment. And then so you need to buy another couch and then you're basically committed to a lifestyle. I mean this is this this is how fight clubs get started.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean that's that's true. It's just it's a lot of seats. Um, I think we've already yeah, we've already decided that he needs um a couch for his coat. So therefore that's where the coat goes. Sure. Okay. Yeah, he might have a lot of coats. He probably has a lot of
2: coats because the sword keeps like stabbing through him. So yeah, That's
1: right. It's like do you don't want to get a coat rack. I just think that it looks better on the back of a couch. That's fine. You can do that. <laughs>
2: But yeah, I mean, you're right, Rob, in that like this does present a whole new side to Connor because before this, we've seen him very kind of middle class, very stripped back, not interested in material objects, it seems, um, and then we enter this like magnificent loft apartment filled with items and things, and uh, yeah, it, it is, it does just present. Like, it just makes you wonder, what's Connor been up to in these missing years, right? He's kind of like Jesus in that. He's got this big chunk of missing years between his formative <laughs> years and then his, uh, you know, what makes him famous. So what what happened? What What's he been up to?
1: Well, I look for some clues in the Sunken Lounge, but mm-hmm. there's not really, when I mean, there's some furs on the walls from when he was a Highlander, you kind of assume there's a shield there and he's... And he seems to have the bust of like a Roman emperor or something, but there weren't really any clues there. There wasn't like a
2: there's there's like some bear skulls. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of swords, and I wonder if those are trophies from other immortals he's killed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm hoping I'm hoping not because if so, that's slightly
2: serial killery. I um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> It's what they are. <laughs> they, I mean, immortal a, a is literally a serial killer. They True. kill many people in the s- similar fashion, one after the other. Yeah, but
0: you know, you don't need to gloat. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, my my main question is how has he accrued all of this? Mm-hmm. Because presumably he's been moving around a lot over the years. Has he like you know? Does he have like a bunch of like storage units all over the world where he's just like full of stuff that he's collected? I think the closest flashback we have to the present day is Nazi Germany.
1: Nein, erst musst du mich erschießen. Whatever you say, Jack. You're the master race.
0: <laughs> like presumably, as you say, it's it's interesting. I think mostly figuring out where he's been in the last kind of, like you know, 40 years since the end of the Second World War?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, even then, we don't know what he was doing in the war. I mean, we don't... You know, we, he liked to party in uh, whenever the duel was. That's what we know. But other than that, it's all a mystery.
1: But You kind of assume, because there's, there's a scene that's coming up um, in a bit with Rachel, um, that he was on the good guy side but he seems but he's not wearing a uniform so it seems to be that he was a resistance member or something during the war which is mm. which is possibly where he picked up the french bit of his accent but uh, yeah mm, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm
0: yep that, although that, that does raise the question is why he potentially i'm, I'm not going to say definitely but might have had a slight french tinge to his accent you know, when he was back in medieval Scotland, but you know, I, 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 it's my <laughs> tin ear. I'm probably reading too much into that.
2: Just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. He had a French uh, tutor or something. Yeah, mm. that's right. They, right, that they, that's a thing that happened in medieval Scotland, right?
1: Yeah, I think. Yeah, you know, I think Heather. I think that her dad was a Norman or something like that. So yeah, that's <laughs>
2: <laughs> those
0: uh, those famously multilingual Scottish peasants. That's right. Um, <laughs> also, I love I love the reveal of his kind of the inner sanctum. Mm. Like, you know, you hear the brrng, and the door opens. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, it's so quiet before that, too. Like, the entry into the apartment is very quiet, and then all of a sudden, you're right, it's a reveal. It's like Dracula walking into his castle all of a sudden.
0: Mm. And as you say, it's an amazing space. And that, you know, the sunken lounge, which, yeah, I mean, adult goals. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he looks up, and you've, and you've got that skylight, mm. which... So presumably, like, I'm wondering how that works, because it's an old New York loft apartment. Mm. That must have been a nightmare to get installed. That skylight is not part of the original (laughs) building.
2: He's got some money. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and and he's got a vision. (laughs) I have
1: an architectural vision. I mean, he is an architect. He builds his own homes. Um, Well, the Sunken Lounge is interesting because it's like a mine palace, but because he's been around (laughs) for hundreds of years, he's just able to keep his memories in a physical form. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it seems to suggest that it's a place he goes to for Sanctuary. I have to admit, I've never seen what other flashbacks have been from that set. So so going forwards, I will, because the first flashback that he has from... The Sunken Lounge is with, yeah, the love of his life. So it seems to be quite, mm-hmm. yeah, a place where he goes to to, uh, to remember the important things. Yeah, I mean, what do, what do you think his, where's his mindset
2: at in this scene? Like, he's just been through a lot. Why, what do you think he is brooding about? I mean, you know, we kind of talked about it. We, it's implied that he comes here to think about Heather.
1: Hi and Dale. Do you want it? Hi. right now. <laughs> you filthy sword,
2: you're all mucking muscle.
0: Aye, Blossom. Way you like it. I think maybe he's thinking about Heather. Well, he's thinking about, you know, the most important woman mm-hmm. in his life, because obviously he's just had this encounter with Brenda.
2: Oh, in the name of God, what's that? I called you Highlander.
0: What did he I mean? There can only be one, only one, what? Listen, lady, you almost I Shut up. Don't you ever follow me again. You only have one life. You value it. Go home. Who there's clearly there is narratively an attraction between the two of them, <laughs> even if uh, <laughs> right,
2: <laughs> even if the motivation isn't there. I will be talking much about that next episode. Yes, but yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so he's kind of you know he's gone to kind of sit in his in his safe place and uh, and think about Heather. the uh, the lovely um, BT Edney here will be making her first appearance in the next Mm -hmm. episode.
2: Absolutely. But I mean, on top of that too, it's, you know, the gathering is happening. He just ran into the Kurgan after who knows how many years, centuries, decades. Uh, I mean, there's a a lot. He's got a lot to brood about, for sure. I
1: I don't think that half a glass of liquor he's carrying is going to do it. (laughs) No. um, And on your point, that this all could have been one night. And I think it's, um, it might be a couple of days, but it's much more interesting to think that that was all one night because sure. heavens, what a night. But the, <laughs> it could be that he's just finding a happy place that is happy places. Oh, that yeah, that time when I lived with Heather. That was much more simple than what's happening now. So I'll just think about that for a bit. Mm-hmm. It's a rerun.
2: It does seem to imply that was like, yeah, his, his last truly happy moment. I mean, the scene does kind of just, again, just gives you a peek into who Connor is as a character because I do get this impression like like I think it's pretty heavily implied that he doesn't really love being an immortal he doesn't really love this competition he's part of in fact the only reason he really seems driven to win it is to keep the Kurgan from winning it mm. I would hazard to theorize um, yeah
1: the Kurgan he is the strongest of all the immortals he is the perfect warrior if he wins the prize mortal man would suffer an eternity of darkness
2: and so i wonder like has he you know i mean how how involved has he been how many immortals has he faced and fought it kind of also seems to imply a lot because he's good and can make it to the end but It's interesting that he seems to have made his life here in New York. Like, it definitely implies he's been here for a while. Uh, I mean, I think maybe Brenda even says as much later when she's discovering his identity.
1: So what you've got here, Brenda, is a guy who's been creeping around since at least 1700,
0: pretending to croak every once in a while. Leaving all his goods to kids who've been corpses for years and assuming their identities.
2: He's establishing himself here in New York. And then this just happens to be where the gathering occurs. Like, I almost, the since he's running from the gathering and the gathering was like, nah, I'm coming to you.
0: So actually, I've just, yeah, okay. I've, I've just opened the Connor McLeod wiki. Uh, and it's yeah, obviously over the uh, the years through various uh, other you know other sort of multimedia uh, comics and um, the mm-hmm. TV series, they've fleshed out his uh, his his history a lot more. Um, and his future. And his future, indeed. Although, no, that wasn't an explicit reference, so I don't need to use the siren again. I think we're all right.
2: Oh no, no, I, I made enough explicit references in the beginning. <laughs> that's, that's yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah, I think he he arrived in America in the 1770s, and I'm assuming that was pretty much his home base. Oh, and, and actually, the wiki does say that he, uh, in 1943, when World War II broke out, he fought as a partisan in France.
2: hmm
1: yeah, so he must have left, yeah, so we left the states for a bit to go over to europe and then and then went back. Oh, a... it's interesting that he went over as a partisan rather than as a soldier because, as we've seen, he seems to be yeah you know, very good at keeping up with all of his documentation. So he wouldn't have had any trouble getting papers. so but anyway, um, what is a partisan?
0: Like a resistance fighter., okay. I think it's probably easier to keep your head down as an immortal because you're kind of there in a kind of guerrilla capacity. So it's much easier for you to kind of run around with, you know, your sword than it is being ensconced on the battlefield. (laughs) And you've just been shot and you come back to life and you're in the, uh, you know, you're in the medical tent. (laughs) I think it's it's probably an easier way to avoid questions. What's the matter, dude?
2: You, talking and breathing. And last night, all but a corpse. How did you manage that, Conor
1: McLeod?
2: Well, can you see connor or any immortal in like boot camp and taking orders
1: and yeah there is that i suppose <laughs> but he quickly rise up to captain or something i mean he will go through the sure, very yeah. quickly <laughs> he's a leader of men yeah, he is so... good at
2: falsifying papers he
1: could just walk in as a captain yeah, yeah
2: he could do yeah that's right it says here you're president okay um i mean i almost wonder if like uh you know if maybe he was just disinterested in all mortal politics and like you know was driven there it, it seems like like the immortals are kind of drawn together at certain points and so maybe he was drawn i'm envisioning like this cool battle between immortals in the midst of world war ii and that just kind of happened to plop him down Mm. in the middle of this battlefield
1: yeah indeed. because the kurgan you think would be very much on the on the nazi side Mm. Um, and would say yeah you can be my army or just a war profiteer in general Yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely
0: has Nancy Brown ever played a Nazi?
1: Well, it's um he he plays like a kind of a Nazi proxy in Starship Troopers. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's true. And I mean Mr. Krabs.
0: SpongeBob! Du würdest keinen einzigen Tag in der
1: Wildnis überleben. Here is dein natürlicher Lebensraum. <laughs> yes, there was always something about him that I never trusted, but uh, <laughs> But I like your theory that this is that he's running from the gathering and because he's obviously like a main player, it's kind of chasing him. That's mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Remember Fazil, wait. McLeod. Fazil wait.
2: Like he's not he's not terribly interested <laughs> in seeing this through to the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like, you know, maybe he has and again, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to refer to the wiki again because it answers too many questions that we can just idly speculate on. <laughs> um, Yeah, maybe he has after World War II. He's basically just been living his life in New York, occasionally dispatching an immortal when they uh, turn up to uh, try and take his head.
1: Mm-hmm. Kind of living a boho scene and uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, so uh, all of this does raise, you know, the question of like, you know, if he's been living a life, is he registered to vote? Does he, you know... <laughs> and I mean, I'm hoping he's a Democrat. He, I could be mistaken. I mean, that would... <laughs> He voted for Nixon twice.
2: <laughs> he's, as much as I hate to say it, he's probably a libertarian. Yeah, he goes for the other candidate.
0: <laughs> he's the real monster.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Connor. Uh, just a very small thing, but so the store next to his antique shop outside, when he walks in, there's a sign for Arise Futon Mattress Company. And I would gather that was probably just the storefront that happened to be there, but... It is interesting that it's called Arise for a uh, Christ-like immortal figure to walk past.
1: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So a little... Uh serendipitous amuse in there.
1: Well, actually, that ties into what we were talking about, I think it was on the previous episode with M.J. Smith, when there are lots of Christ parallels in this film, and there's... Because M.J. Mm-hmm. said that when he gets first stabbed by the Kurgan, he's kind of skewered on his left side, which is obviously where they stabbed Jesus to make sure he was dead. Oh, good call. And, and when he's in the stocks, he's in a cruciform, and the whole scene when he's being drummed out of the village is you know very much like the walk to Golgotha, and uh, so... It could be, yeah, I mean, it, but it could be one of those things where it's like, we're going to make sure that people see the name of that shop because it's just a bit of um, fortuitous naming that we can yeah. you know, link into. Well, I mean, I had to freeze frame
2: it and get real close to my TV to see it, but... Oh, okay, right. I have to say, I didn't see Honestly, it. But... To... Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's a good spot, though.
0: Okay, so... Is there anything else we'd like to uh, discuss about the Mona Lisa transition and Connor's, again, it cannot be stated enough, wonderful Sunken Lounge.
2: Amazing. Uh, I did realize, I forgot to tell you guys, though, that the friend who thought he had watched Highlander, but had watched Highlander, that won't be named, was Rob. So (laughs) Rob's throughout my life have brought me to Highlander in one way
1: or another. Excellent. Well, it's um, so uh, the Highlander that won't be named. <laughs> I think that's what's going to be called from now on, right? It is the Voldemort of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's also the one that uh, I went to see at the cinema when it was first released because me and my mum and my auntie loved loved Highlander so much. It was my auntie's favourite film. So it was like, well, there's a Highlander too. Well, we have to go and see it. Of course, it hasn't been press screened, but I'm sure, <laughs> but I'm sure it's fine. Even though they wouldn't show it to press before they released it. And then we all, all walked out at the end going, oh, no, no that made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> that was awful. It's oh. a bonding family experience. Yes. Yeah, it was. Uh, there was a time of healing afterwards. But, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, in which case, I guess drawing it to a close, um, Cameron, would you like to uh, tell people where they can find you? Yeah. Online and... um.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um, To find me online most, you can find my podcast... Twitter handle is where I spend most of my uh, online activity, at Greenshirt87. will find me on Twitter. The podcast is Greenshirt, a newbie's trek through the next generation. I am watching Star Trek The Next Generation for the very first time. Somehow I missed it growing up, but I'm remedying that now in podcast form. We are uh, well underway into season five right now, so there's plenty of content out there to catch up on or just join us where we're at. It's uh, good times, and you can expect uh, this level of microscopic detail, sign reading in the background, and probably a lot more dick jokes than I made on this podcast today.
1: Oh, there's still time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll think of something.
1: Yeah, we haven't actually mentioned, a, we've not mentioned a sheathed weapon at all, mm. so mm, slightly. <laughs>
2: slightly remiss mm. there we go we have a very large phallic building to discuss
1: next episode so i'll save the dick talk for that brilliant <laughs> and uh, mr daniel yep Oop. yep you can find me on twitter at rob underscore a underscore daniel uh you can find my writing at electric shadows.com or film uk or love uk. i think it is um and we have a sister podcast called the movie robcast you can find that wherever you listen to this podcast And also, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at MovieRobcast. Great. And, yeah, you can find me
0: online uh, on Twitter at Robert M. Wallace and find my writing, such as it is, at Of All The Film Sites, www.ofallthefilmsites.com. Well, Cameron, thank you very much for joining this episode and I'm very glad to say that you're uh, you're sticking around uh, for next
2: week as well. You better believe it. Can't get rid of me that easy. Oh, yeah. Well, until then,
0: all that's left to say is... (laughs)
2: Cloud, McLeod, McLeod, Cloud, McLeod, McLeod.